and welcome back to Hey Look Listen. My name is Liam Sheehan and this is an episode I'm going to be going it alone for. I um, apologise if there's any kind of uh, low energy on this episode. I have COVID and I'm kind of recording this episode as therapy almost because I've been quarantining for what seems like 10 million years. But today we, or I, excuse me, I'm doing an episode about Games that deserve sequels. Usually on this show we talk about games that exist, that you know that are tangible in this world that we have living memories of. But how about talking about games that don't exist? And I don't want to make this a big comprehensive list of like the ones that are always on top of, you know, people's minds, top of people's lists of what, what games should exist. This is more of kind of a personal one, because everyone has their own games that they which got sequels. Everyone has the ones that they watch an E3 or a Nintendo Direct or a PlayStation State of Play, whatever, and they always have the games where they're crossing their fingers going, please show this episode or show this game. And what inspired me to do this episode is actually, you know, we live in the worst timeline, but I got my game recently. There a few months ago, Return to Monkey Island was announced. And if there's any series of games, any, any pop culture, anything that I've wanted a new version of, it's a new Monkey Island game, of course, Fans immediately have ruined this by, um, you know, it has a divisive art style. So fans bullied the creator Ron Gilbert on Twitter about it to the point where he's quit the internet and he's quit announcing anything about the game until it's released because, you know, we're not allowed to have nice things, you know. Uh, fucking hate fucking gamers sometimes. I know. You know, I hate men because this isn't women doing this. Women are just, you know, chilling out, enjoying their things. It's men who bully creators off of Twitter masculinity get rid of it no uh, so I got Monkey Island 6 happening in my life I'm so excited so I thought now that that's done now that I'm getting that that's in my future what other games out there am I like waiting for now you know I'm always waiting for new games something new and exciting but of course I'm waiting for you know my beloved franchises what's kind of you know been off the radar for a long time and I actually came up with a few games. I uh, thought about it. And funnily enough, all the games I'm going to be talking about today are they are all Japanese games. Uh, kind of coincidentally, but also kind of I noticed that trend. And I was like, you know what, I'll just do these Japanese games this time. Because there's actually a lot more games I could add to this list. But I thought this would be a kind of a cool subject matter to return to down the road. I would love to do this one when I'm not doing an episode by myself. I'd love to hear what Owen or Kev... Uh, would uh, would what be on their list? You know, what would they be excited about? Because, like I said, like this list that I'm going to do is not going to, you know, cover all the games that should be made. Anyone listening to this who plays games has their own game, so I I I, I would wonder what the lads would put on. But I've chosen a few games that I would. Oh man, it would just make my year, my week, my moment to have these games announced. Uh, and even though I don't have a, a red hot burning need for any of these games because Monkey Island was the one I really wanted every time I'd, I'd just wake up in the morning and be like oh I hope a new Monkey Island game was announced today but uh, these are uh, these are um, some cool games do you know funnily enough I'm going to begin this list by talking about a couple of games that I used to want sequels for that you know now I've just it, the moment has passed me by I'm just not feeling it anymore I believe I've brought it up many times in this podcast because I, I also bring it up many times in life but I am a huge Banjo-Kazooie fan Banjo-Kazooie being the um, rare platforming games for the Nintendo 64. There was two of them. Uh, 
I adore these two games. I've always wanted a sequel for them, but you know, I, I don't anymore. Because the weird thing about Banjo Kazooie is that there there was a kind of um there was a Game Boy Advance game or two maybe, but who cares about that? But there was um there's a reason why I'm not really dying for a Banjo Kazooie sequel anymore is because you got one on the Xbox 360 when Microsoft bought Rare. It was Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, but that was such a, um, an experimental departure. It almost didn't feel like a sequel. It felt like they had an idea for a game and they just kind of stamped the uh, Banjo-Kazooie IP onto it and uh, whatever I hated it and it broke my heart at the time and I don't count it as a proper Banjo-Kazooie sequel but then more importantly years and years later due to a Kickstarter a bunch of ex-Rare employees got together and formed a company called Platonic and they, they didn't they don't have access to the IP of Banjo-Kazooie but so they made a spiritual successor called Ukulele and I've been resisting talking about this game in this podcast for a long time because like it feels so nasty to be negative about it because these, you've seen him interviewed, these are just such affable, pleasant British men who just seem so happy to get the chance to make this game. And I was so happy that they got the chance to make the game. So I kind of hate saying that I hated it, that I don't think, I didn't think it was very good, that it fell sh- much, much short of the two N64 games that were made 20 years before it. But like I said, it feels kind of, um, yeah, I don't know, it doesn't feel right to kind of bitch about it. But that's kind of the reason why I'm not looking out for a Banjo-Kazooie sequel anymore. I mean, I'd be happy to get one, even though all the employees who worked at Rare who would have made those games don't make don't work there anymore. So if they did make a new Banjo-Kazooie game, it would be a whole new team. But the main two reasons is I feel like I got the two scenarios that could have led to kind of a Banjo-Kazooie revival. You got the, the sequel on the Xbox and you got the reimagining uh, ukulele years later and both of them fell short for me. So I've just put it aside. And the other one is another rare game, Conquer's Bad Fur Day, which was, uh, do you know what? We have an entire episode of Hey Look, Listen About Us, so please check that out. But that was a really crass, adult-orientated kind of deconstruction of a platformer that when I was a kid, I really wanted a sequel for. And I think, I haven't listened to that episode since I edited it, but I think I came to the same conclusion when I recorded that episode. The problem with um, a Conquer's Bad Fur Day sequel now, and it did get a full remake for the Xbox way back in the day, but the problem with a full sequel now is that it's just that the times they are changing, the times they are changed, and we just don't really live in a world that suits Conquer anymore. It was and is of its time, and I think it kind of should be left there. It's like I said, everyone kind of has that game that they really want to get a sequel, but sometimes you got to stand back and go, you know, do, do we need a sequel to this? Like, I, I, I'm open to anyone's... Uh, a choice of a, of a sequel that they want but like if you if you say do you want a sequel to Duke Nukem in the modern age like and you, I think you need to stand back and go do you really want a sequel to Duke Nukem or do you want Duke Nukem to go away forever because he just has no place in the world anymore I kind of feel like the same way with Conquer's Bad Fur Day I did, unless they do a, a full reinvention that's as radical as Bad Fur Day was on the N64 and just take a whole different stab at that IP I think I'm happy to leave Conquer just a memory of the late 90s, early 2000s and leave him there. But for years and years, Banjo and Conquer would have been like right on the top of my list of games I want to see sequels of. But I, I don't know, I just kind of wanted to begin this list with those two by saying I'm a little over him. I just, I think the time has passed. So let's move on to games I really, really want sequels to. But I'm going to begin this list by staying in the genre of platforming games and I've kind of done this podcast for this long without really properly coming out ellipsis as a Sonic the Hedgehog fan but I am I'm a huge Sonic the Hedgehog fan in fact Sonic is where it all began there'd be there'd be no games for me to talk about if the seed wasn't planted when I was three years old and I played Sonic the Hedgehog on the Sega Mega Drive and was just um 
I don't know, transfixed by the primary colors. But that was like the very first game and I was a, I'm a huge fan of those old Sonic games and that kind of went on to, you know, uh, Christmas 1999, my brother and I got a Dreamcast and we had Sonic Adventure. We were there for the debut of Sonic in the 3D realm and I was such a fan. I, 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 I genuinely, I was a huge fan of this game. I knew all the, the lyrics to the songs, you know, like that Knuckles rap, you know, on like Sonic, I don't chuckle, I'd rather flex my muscles. I'm hard as nails, ain't hard to tell. I break them down, whether they're solid or frail. Anyway, I was a big fan of Sonic Adventure and Sonic Adventure 2, we also had it for the Dreamcast and that is regarded as one of the most popular in the franchise. You look at fans online of Sonic the Hedgehog and they, God, they love Sonic Adventure 2, but that was when I bowed out. I was about 14 years old. I remember playing it and going, oh my God, I don't think I give a shit about this anymore. You know, I don't think these are good games. I don't think they play well and I don't like any, I, like, <laughs> I know people love Shadow the Hedgehog. They love to hate all these fucking characters. I remember thinking, no, I'm done. And I never give up games i'm such a fucking man child i still love all the games i love when i'm a child but i just left sonic go i couldn't carry that weight anymore and i was content to not really play sonic games i think i played them every now and then and was never very impressed and i was never very impressed by what i saw online of new sonic games that were coming out and i know there's hardcore sonic fans out there who would uh you know show show you the games that deserve to be played or hold the certain ones up on pedestals and I'm not uh, yucking anyone's yum towards Sonic in all its aspects, and <laughs> towards its games, towards its, you know, internet culture. But I'm just saying that I, I'm going to remain neutral on the subject matter, but I just had no interest in playing a Sonic game. Until 2017, that is, when uh, Sega made a really interesting decision in kind of um, wrangling up a kind of a development team made up of fans essentially made up of uh guys who made um rom hacking games and fan games led by this guy uh, christian whitehead and these were like mega sonic fans who were making things online and sega hired them officially to make a sonic game and that sonic game ended up being sonic mania and it was very intentionally a throwback to the mega drive sonics those original games and it was very retro and you know in my opinion it just sort of ended up being the best sonic game ever made uh, those old Sonic games, which I, I really do love, I will also admit that there is sort of a, a dichotomy at their center, a kind of a inherent fault with the uh, gotta go fast mentality where the game wants you to make Sonic run as fast as possible, but doesn't really design levels based for that sometimes. So a lot of kind of unfair running into enemies. And um, I don't think that weighs down the games as much as some naysayers might say, but it is a kind of a central fault that's always been at the heart of Sonic, even in the good ones. And I don't know. Sonic Mania, you know, was just this uh, very thoughtful evolution of those old Mega Drive games and what a Sonic sequel would look like that kind of uh, softens those faults a little bit. That kind of, kind of make, makes the game altogether more palatable while also kind of taking in that, uh, that 90s aesthetic that for me, like with the music and the graphical style, which to me is so intrinsic to Sonic the Hedgehog, which was entirely lost in the 3D iterations, uh, which I'm remaining completely neutral towards. But yeah, not only for me was Sonic Mania just an, an exceptional game uh, in terms of just uh, pulling on my nostalgia and making me all sentimental, but I also just thought it was a, a really great platformer game. And easily the best thing Sonic had been a part of in a long, long time. So I thought it would be a no-brainer to make another one of those, but then they followed it up with another kind of uh, 
not not very good 3D looking. I'm being neutral towards these games, but not very good uh, 3D Sonic game called Sonic Forces. And I just think it's insane that there has not been been a sequel, that this team wasn't allowed to do what they did again. Because what's sort of cool about Sonic Mania is that half of it is overtly about nostalgia. It, uh, it brings back old levels and kind of reinvents those levels as well, as well as having just straight up, just here's the level from Sonic 1, here's the level from Sonic 2. It kind of brings them back. And half the game is new content, and half the game is that old kind of retro nostalgic stuff, which I thought was great for Sonic Mania, but I would love to see this team be given a sequel and not have to do that nostalgic stuff. To have 100% their content, because the stuff they came up with, the new stuff in Sonic Mania, is amazing. Uh, Studiopolis Zone is an all-time classic Sonic level, with, with, like, without hyperbole, one of the best fucking video game tracks of all time. It's a bop, and I just kind of want to... I want to see the team really kind of be unchained from the past and make their Sonic game fully. And I think it's a crime that, uh, that we haven't gotten that. And I know people are very excited. There's an open world Sonic game after being announced. It's kind of look, so, looks like Sonic meets Zelda Breath of the Wild. And now there's reports coming out that, oh, early gameplay uh, test. It's not very good. And I'm like, shock horror. That this, this is this is what usually happens, and I don't think there's any Sonic project. I'm remaining neutral about these Sonic games, but I don't think there's any Sonic project that could uh, excite me that could be announced except for a follow-up to Sonic Mania. Sonic Mania 2, or they could give it a better name. And I think it's uh, a crime, but also very Sega not to immediately green out a sequel to this. Very Sega to make the boneheaded wrong choice. It's a choice that doesn't surprise me at all. Sega... Has, is a company that's had its highs and lows, um, mostly lows, and it's all from their own uh, decision making. I think they're a boneheaded company. I, I I love boneheaded. I love throwing boneheaded out there. It's just so it's it's just so family friendly and fun. But that's my first choice. I would love a Sonic Mania too because that game was just genuinely brilliant. Moving on from Sega, a company that succeeds despite themselves to another company that always succeeds despite themselves capcom and i've recently during my quarantine been playing a lot of capcom fighting collection which was uh, a group of 10 uh, kind of classic um, capcom fighting games like street fighter and stuff like that that came out and i'm not a big fighting game guy but i kind of am i've never been any good at them i don't i never i don't feel like an authority on them enough to like say ever do an episode about like classic fighting games but I've always loved them like and I got that from my brother he was a huge fan growing up and like like it's so odd to call myself like a casual fighting game fan where I've been playing these things for almost my entire life and if you look at our, my brother and I's old video game collection we have some stone cold classics that because of him on our shelves but I still have to kind of call myself a casual fighting game fan because I just never really engaged with them all that much or felt that I was ever very good at them. But what I always enjoyed about them was just, I don't know, aesthetically I enjoyed them. I enjoyed like the, the characters, looking at the different characters and just the, the backgrounds and the music. Just aesthetically, a 90s fighting game for me is just a really cool thing and another kind of thing I'm super nostalgic about at the moment because I've been playing these old games and... You know, Street Fighter gets all the love. There's a really cool Street Fighter 6 coming out soon, which I like. Street Fighter 5 completely passed me by to the point where it never jumped out of me uh, enough to kind of snag my attention. So for like the past eight years, I've been completely ambivalent towards the franchise that is Street Fighter. But I think Street Fighter 6 is looking kind of cool and they're going in a cool new direction. And that's kind of reminded me of how much I love that franchise and how much I love those characters. But um, Capcom will always, you know, 
you know, not always, but, you know, there's a while there where Street Fighter was kind of disappearing. But, you know, if they're going to return to a fighting game franchise, it's always going to be Street Fighter, their main one. But I got two that I think they should return to. Two I think they should make sequels to. And one of them is directly because I've been playing the fight Capcom fighting game collection. Uh, in the PS1 era, uh, in the arcades first, and then the PS1, and then the Sega Saturn, uh, Capcom made an excellent fighting game franchise that was in the West was called Darkstalkers. And what can I say about Darkstalkers except that it's the most charming, charismatic franchise ever made just in terms of the character design and the animation on these characters. Like I was, I've only ever played Darkstalkers 1, we used to have it for PlayStation 1, but on this fighting game collection they have all the sequels. I think there's two direct sequels and then two for different versions of those sequels, you know, the crazy stupid fighting game, Capcom fighting game conventions of how they kind of re-release the same game under different names. But um, I've been playing them all and uh, kind of not flourishing while playing them not succeeding in playing them that much because i'm just not very good in them whether i'm playing them online with randos or playing the arcade mode with, with a computer i'm sort of getting my ass kicked i'm not very good at these games but in playing a couple of the Darkstalkers sequels uh which i think they're called vampire savior one of them is called they have a really annoying naming convention as well where i i, I can't follow this franchise but in playing these for the first time i've gotten to play as and see uh, certain characters for the first time ever and i'm just uh so enamored with them immediately all the characters in Darkstalkers are kind of based. They're all monsters. So there's a vampire, there's a werewolf, there's a Frankenstein's monster. And one of the new characters I'd never played of, I think her name is Shen Ko or something like that. And she's based on one of those, you know, Chinese zombies with the long sleeves and arms who hop. But she's just the coolest piece of gaming animation I've ever seen. Even her idle animation when she's standing still and she kind of twists her head in a weird way. And all her attacks are pulling things, blades and bombs out of her massive sleeves. And these days we have the technology to, you know, make amazing graphics. We can put a whole Oscar-winning Remy Malik into a game. And that's amazing. But I don't know, playing these uh, these old 90s fighting games, I'm just kind of thinking, oh god, remember when just beautiful sprite-based animation was in games? And it was just, you know, wasn't kind of cold, clinical Remy Maliks. <laughs> no, but I'm just, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because, one, I'm not very good at Darkstalkers. So I'm not going to, like call for a Darkstalker sequel and go, I need I need a Darkstalker sequel so I can play this thing online in a, in a modern modern climate and, you know, kick ass. And No, I just aesthetically would love to see a Darkstalker sequel because this game has so much charm and personality in every single frame of it. These characters are all, you know, anime-looking guys, you know, and it, it has a quintessential video game kind of hot anime characters in it. I, I, even if you don't know Darkstalkers, you probably know Morgan, the succubus, who's like the tittiest titty character to ever tit. You have Felicia, the cat girl. Like these are the most kind of, you know, please, mom, don't walk into the room while I'm playing this bit of the game characters ever made. Yet all the characters are like animated, like Looney Tunes characters. You know, when they take damage in the game, the animation in this game is spectacular. And what I, what I forgot after years of not playing Darkstalkers was just, yeah, aesthetically, how it's sort of like a Looney Tunes cartoon. How they, they they turn all black when they get hit by fire. How, how The way they contort and twist. It's just the most lovingly, charmingly animated game I've ever played. And I think for that reason, I would just love to see a new Darkstalkers. And in my heart of hearts, I'd love it to be traditional 2D sprite. You can do amazing sprite work in, with modern graphics that is not often taken advantage of. But, you know, Street Fighter VI, that videos are online of now. It's full 3D and it still looks spectacular. So I would trust Capcom to make... At 3D Darkstalkers and make it look fantastic as well. I think in 2012 or so, Capcom released a collection of a few Darkstalkers games and it sold like shit. And they kind of said, like, we're not really interested in making 
another one because of that. And that, but that's ten years ago. And maybe this Capcom fighting collection will go towards, but go towards a new one. But um, yeah, I think it's kind of a crime that this franchise has been allowed to die, especially since uh, there's just so much personality in it. But one that's kind of closer to my heart in terms of I, I used to play it and used to be good at it is another kind of Capcom fighting game from back in the day. And this is more less technical, less you know precise move inputs and all the, all that stuff. This was more of kind of a party game, kind of a la Smash Brothers, but not exactly the same. And I would love another one. I would love a sequel to Power Stone. Power Stone 1 and Power Stone 2 are these kind of arena fighters. I played them on the Dreamcast. They were in the arcades as well. And... Uh, yeah, rather than just kind of 1v1, you know, you were kind of running around levels where, you know, hazards could hurt you and there was a lot of wild shit happening and you had to kind of collect gems as you beat each other up and it wasn't uh, complicated. It was very um, op- It was very open to um, having anyone kind of play it. It was, it was kind of a more of a party game and it just had this really eccentric cast of colourful characters that I really liked when I was a kid and it was just like a sort of, like, it was just a fun game that anyone could play and the first game was more kind of, you know, um, more, more kind of skill based it was 1v1 but then the second one was could be four player matches and the levels were wild they transitioned and the screen scrolled and you had to like platform your way to the next section of the level and it, like, it wasn't like a fighting game that cared much about your skill it was more about the fun and I like that sometimes you know I like to play Smash Brothers games with items on in the wackiest levels ever I'm not a competitive fucking fighting game player you know I, I just like playing games casually at home and that's what I kind of miss and I just think all these characters are so marketable <laughs> to look at a business level that it's a shame that Capcom let them die because they're so kind of um, well designed and they kind of run the gamut that's kind of the point of Power Stoner is there's very little teaming to tie the characters together so one guy is a cowboy one guy is a fighter pilot there's a kind of a puppet boy he's like a Pinocchio little guy and I like the random bullshit chaos of that and it has a, it has a really distinct kind of I don't know how to say it a sound or feeling that I transports me right back to the late 90s early 2000s and i really associate with the with the dreamcast this is very arcadey kind of sound you know when you're in an arcade and you're walking by and you're just hearing random sounds and voices coming from the cabinets that you're not playing uh there's a lot of dreamcast games that really remind me of that and power stone in the forefront like you the commentator wouldn't just go you win or you lose the match with starting he's like stuff like i have a bad feeling about this and stuff like that very soul caliber as well which was on the Dreamcast as well, very kind of like, Maxi was seriously wounded, but his soul still burns. And just, you know, Japanese nonsense like that, and I, I love that. So I want that energy back in my life. I think I think if you hang around Capcom fans on the internet or otherwise, I think they've been talking about this one for years. Um, it's weird that there was only two Power Stone games. I don't think they sold amazingly well. But with the, you know, massive success of Super Smash Bros. Ultimate and then you know, you got your Nickelodeon fighting game now, you got your Warner Brothers fighting game, and did which aren't straight fighting games, but more kind of, you know, arena fighters or kind of party game fighters. I think there's a word for them that that's not coming to my brain now to describe this exact kind of halfway fighting game type thing. I wonder if one of these types of games could succeed without kind of characters being taken from Game of Thrones, from Superman, from Batman, whatever, from SpongeBob, from Avatar. Is that the only selling point? I'd like to try that out and see if Power Stone could uh, worm its way into the market because I think Power Stone is one of just the happiest, coolest, funnest games ever. And there hasn't been one in many decades. I'm going to remain with Capcom for my next one. I've uh, it's been v- I've been very vocal on this podcast about my love for the modern Resident Evil games. Starting from Resident Evil 7, you've got the Resident Evil 2 remake. Uh, brilliant stuff and what, what amazing things that modern Capcom were able to do with these with these new graphical engines in, in creating the the atmosphere of the survival horror game 
you know, uh, we talked about with Kev, we did an episode on, on Resident Evil 1, 2, and 3, and we talked about the remakes and just how atmospheric and oppressive, like, the, the, the RPD station was in, in the Resident Evil 2 remake. And navigating those corridors and fighting gooey lick monsters and zombies. Now, imagine that type of game with that graphical fidelity, with that just, you know, thick, seeping, gooey atmosphere. Just that, that, that intense horror. But instead of zombos, instead of lickers... Imagine fucking dinosaurs, and yeah, it's a it's a formula for complete and utter success, right? Capcom are literally sitting on a franchise they own called Dino Crisis, which is the best name for a game ever, and they're not doing anything with it. It would literally be so amazing to you know play a kind of. I'm literally thinking of Resident Evil 2 remake remake here. Just play a game like that, but you're being hunted by velociraptors they have to deal with, or you have to get across a roof in one section and there's pterodactyls in the sky you could do so many amazing things with that premise alone even if they didn't have an old franchise called dino crisis i'd be thinking god make a survival horror game about dinosaurs it's a no-brainer and i have to admit i'm not like the hugest dino crisis fan from the old days i there was three of them um i believe they became more horror to action orientated as they went to the point where the third one was in space because that's how franchises go. But uh, I, I believe the first two are really beloved. But I only ever played the first one. And we never owned it. But I definitely recall playing it. We must have rented it. As was the way of things back then. But I don't have much uh, t- uh, much big memories of like the moments in it. I couldn't tell you much about it. The main character has red hair. And there's dinosaurs. So I'm less coming from coming at you at this from, from a point of view of a mega fan of this franchise. More of just someone who loves the premise. And thinks that it, it's a no-brainer to um, slot this into uh, a modern game. And what's doubly annoying is that Capcom announced a new game recently that was all about shooting dinosaurs called Exo Primal. But I I can't talk about that because I actually think thinking of it will give me double COVID. But yeah, this one is a no-brainer for me. And even if people don't recognize the brand, like I don't even think you need brand recognition for this one. If there's people out there rubbing their going, Dino Crisis, what's that? It doesn't matter. As soon as you show a modern Resident Evil looking survival horror game with dinosaurs, that will just sell itself. I think Capcom are fools for not making a Dino Crisis game, and I, I, want, I wish I was playing that right now. It would be like better than any Jurassic Park game ever made. I think anyone who owns any dinosaur-related IPs, anyone maybe owns the Jurassic Park IP for making video games, should just, you know, fill that kind of dinosaur-shaped hole that Capcom have left and make a survival horror dinosaur game, because it's an absolute no-brainer. So if you go back to the Xbox 360, the PlayStation 3 era, there was a lot of shooters. There was a lot of third-person shooters. A lot of them were neato. Gears of War, Uncharted, uh, Spec Ops The Line. Actually, a little behind the curtain of Halo hey, and Spec Ops The Line is sort of my white whale of topics I want to do for this podcast, but I just feel it's so big and large. It's uh, People don't know about it. I, I won't spoil it, but it's a, it's a very serious war game. But uh, my point is, I'd love to get to that someday, sorry. But my point is, there was a lot of um, third-person shooters that came from Western developers. And in the wake of that, Capcom and other Japanese companies started making very kind of Western-inspired games. I remember, I, I, I believe Capcom had a kind of an internal push led by uh, Keiji Inafune, the creator of Mega Man of all things, to make games inspired by Western developers and shooters, which led to uh, some 
not very memorable, not very beloved games like the Lost Planet games, the remake of Bionic Commando and stuff like that. And outside of Capcom, it just didn't really work for a lot of Japanese companies, I should say. It definitely didn't work for Capcom. And I believe Keiji Inafune left the company in shame after this. I don't know if it was in shame, but he definitely left the company after that. But um, I don't particularly look back at this era of gaming fondly from this aspect. I felt like a lot of Japanese companies weren't doing their best work because they were so um, hungrily trying to make Western-inspired games, and that's really not what they should have been doing. But I think one very cool game did come of this it was published by sega and developed by platinum and it was a ridiculous inter japanese interpretation of a western shooter called vanquish and the style at the time in shooters was to you know design levels based around chest high walls that you could hunker down for cover and then emerge from cover and shoot your enemy but vanquish has you in a robotic suit with rockets attached to the back of the knees and you could literally slide around levels shooting robots with your guns and it was the most anime thing ever and it was kind of divisive at the time you know it, calling it divisive almost kind of um suggests it was popular it didn't sell well at all so like but it's still divisive i remember one of my absolute favorite uh reviewers of games and one of my absolute favorite just uh critics of games to this day uh jim stephanie sterling they gave it a terrible score, and I was at the time going, no, this game is class, this game is the most anime thing ever. I remember seeing the trailer for it when it was announced at some E3 or something like that, and uh, you're there, your guy is like a pro-athlete who's um, now a soldier, and he's, he's put into like a hyper Power Rangers looking suit with, like I said, rockets in the back of his knees so he can slide around while shooting machine guns. But there's this like, rough guy in the trailer. And the way the trailer was uh, edited together and cut, he just says something like, you know, we have 24 hours before that happens. We can't let that happen. And I always thought that should have been the plot. I was very disappointed to get to the game and I finally played the game itself that, that there was actually an actual plot I should care about. But much more in the spirit of the thing that Vanquish is just, who cares what the plot is? The plot should have been, there's 24 hours before this thing happens. Because it doesn't matter, it's a very short and sweet game, it's only about 6 hours and it's just go, 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 go. And it's you shooting robots and sliding around on your knees. And it, at the time I thought it was just such a fresh, very Japanese take on a genre that was filling the store shelves at the time. You couldn't move from for another fucking army of two or some shite. I'm not remaining neutral about Army of Two. I'm remaining neutral on the Sonic games, but Army of Two was boring, and it's indicative of all the boring shooters that came out in that time. But I'm not going to like champion Vanquish as this masterpiece, but it definitely wasn't boring, and I thought it was actually sort of one of the underrated games of the PS3, Xbox 360 era. And yeah, I I'm just now remembering what the point of this video is. I would love to see a sequel of it. I think that is like, I cannot tell you what the plot of that game is. I cannot tell you who the characters are, what the stakes are. Like, it, this is not the reason why it lodges in my memory and why I would want a sequel of it. But the reason it lodges in my memory of why I want a sequel of it is because it was super fun and at the time it was graphically insane. It was just a laser light show that was pushing the PS3 to its limits. I'd love to see that with a mo in modern gen. Throw a Vanquish game on the PS5, up the amount of robots, up the amount of ridiculous knee sliding halfway across the level as you're shooting them. Just do it. I have kind of a thing I hold on to where I still like to buy games physically as much as possible and that's it's now starting to become untenable in my life you know and I'm kind of starting to realize that you know buying things digitally is just much more efficient just for living but I still have a love for owning physical media as much as possible and 
every now and then a game like Vanquish comes out that, you know, rewards me for that because it has a fucking hologram on its box. You can move the hologram and main character, I think his name is Sam. Doesn't matter, Robot Knee Man. He moves as you move the box like a fucking shiny Pokemon card or something like that. And uh, if nothing else sums up why... Not, not why anything, but if nothing else sums up this kind of inherent charm of something like Vanquish. The, the silliness of it, the toy-like nature of it. We don't always need these super serious games. I just want a ridiculous anime knee-blasting game. Some knee-blasting. Does that sound sexual? I'll look it up. But uh, I would love a sequel to Vanquish. Um... It's not on the top of my list or anything, but when I was composing this list, when I was cobbling it together, it was one that kind of like came to my head before anything else for some reason. I was kind of like, oh yeah, no, Monkey Island done, get a new Monkey Island game. But what about Vanquish next? That would be cool. I don't ever see it happening. I can't see it being an IP that's unearthed. So I'll play Devil's Advocate in a little bit and say a spiritual successor to Vanquish would also be class. And I would also count that as a sequel. So... Shigeru Miyamoto, he's a man who made a few games in the day. Back in the day, he made Donkey Kong, he made the Mario Brothers, he made The Legend of Zelda. The guy's a legend of Zelda. Now, the guy is one of my absolute heroes, and a lot of the games, there's a lot of kind of uh, progenitors of games you can kind of, you know, look back on, but in terms of the games that I truly love, I don't think I'd have them if it wasn't for the seeds that were planted by Shigeru Miyamoto in his early work uh, in Nintendo. He's just, he's inarguably one of the pillars of this industry. But I find these days, in the last like 10 years, if you kind of read about him online with certain fans, a lot of people don't love him anymore. And I think one of the main reasons of that is that he's he's kind of stepped away from more creative things in the last 10 years plus, but he, you know, he definitely he still gets involved with things. Obviously, and he has a kind of a creative influence over a lot of projects that are going on Nintendo. But I think a lot of people kind of, you know, maybe some younger people who maybe like, you know, some bad Sonic games that I'd be neutral about. No, but um, I think a lot of people kind of see what he's done in the last like 10 plus years. Like I remember he, he I remember seeing an interview with him by the time the 3DS came out and he, he worked on um, Pilot Wings Resort, which was a kind of a launch game for that that no one remembers. And he was talking about the island that you fly around in that game and he was just like, yeah, I see my new game as um, The Island from Pilot Wings. And I was kind of like, that's not a game, Shigeru Miyamoto. That's just a level. You can't, you can't just call that a game. It's, it's not enough. But one of the main reasons why kind of... Um, he's working on the Nintendo theme park in, in Japan at the moment. I don't know if that's open. It was supposed to open in 2020, but uh, something happened. I can't remember exactly what happened. I'll have to check my diary. But one of the reasons why I think he has a lot of Nintendo fans' ire is from a certain project on the Wii U called Star Fox Zero. And uh, Star Fox Zero was a long, a long-awaited, long-belated return to the Star Fox franchise. Uh, it had skipped the entire uh, Wii generation. It had been a long time outside of Smash Brothers. You weren't getting any uh, Star Fox content until the Star Fox Zero came out. And it was kind of um, a remake of Star Fox 64, unfortunately. Uh, in a way, in, in some ways, in some ways it wasn't the kind of, it was in the kind of uh, Star Wars Force Awakens soft reboot zone, but all that is kind of irrelevant. Um, story goes, that game was far in development, it was looking pretty spiffy. Shigeru Miyamoto was standing behind, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just painting a picture here, this is not how it went down. He was standing behind some hard-working programmers, whatever, his hand on his chin, just going, no. No, not enough. Not enough Wii U. Yeah, the story goes that he didn't see he couldn't see he couldn't justify this game coming out 
without any kind of major innovation being attached to it. And Nintendo and major innovation, I don't mind saying, go hand in hand a lot of the time. A lot of the reasons why we love Nintendo is that they never take the obvious route and they never give us what we want, but they tell us that they prove, you know, we didn't know what we wanted. Now we're playing this thing and it's weird and bizarre, but that goes the other way too. Sometimes their quest for innovation can lead to what I would call like needless, you know, change. Like I think a lot of the Wii motion stuff undeniably revolutionary undeniably we sporty undeniably whatever i just think a lot of it has you know who cares who gives a shit and i think a lot of that in the wii u as well which was the precursor to the switch but the technology was crap and it had two screens but it didn't matter so he tacked on this two screen aspect to star fox zero and uh it was terrible it played really badly you had to kind of look at your tv and down to your screen and then you had to move the the the, the wii u remote itself in motion controls to aim some things and what it ended up being was star fox zero i think would have been a unexciting unrevolutionary but pretty solid entry into a franchise that we long wanted a new entry into into um uh, but what it ended up being was a sort of a broken um not very fun to play game and that kind of hurt doubly because we're all waiting for a new star fox game and it was such a a shame so what yeah what i'm saying what i'm all leading to is that i'm dying for a new star fox game a proper one and when i say a proper one i am of the opinion that there has not been a proper star fox game since 1997 every kind of star fox game that's come out since then has been a weird pivot or weird experimentation in some way and like star fox for people who don't know is a game where you play as anthropomorphic farm animals who fly in spaceships and you shoot people but people a lot for many years were dying for those animals to get out of their ships and you know have on foot and they've done that now they've done it with a couple of games rare did it with star fox adventures namco did it with star fox assault i think the novelty is over i just want a proper star fox game that's just a linear shooter it's star fox 64 lilac wars as i know it in europe because i think I don't know this for sure, but it's my podcast, so I can say anything. But there's a licensing problem uh, in in Europe, or there was, and Nintendo couldn't call Star Fox games Star Fox games. I think it's something to do with Marvel, and they have a Star Fox character. So uh, on the on the Super Nintendo, our Star Fox was called Star Wing over here in Europe, and Star Fox 64 was called Lilat Wars. That is just a digression, though. I apologize. But I was saying, but that game could be beaten in an hour. That's kind of the point of it. It's very arcadey. The it, it's actually based around kind of beating your high score but more exciting than that is figuring out different routes you can take through the level so you always play about four or five levels but you can do certain things in the levels to take different routes through and find secrets gain new dialogue from the characters i love that stuff and that's all i want from a new star fox game now you can you can make that more robust you can add to that i mean as a sequel should but those are the things that you should be trying to innovate within a star fox game just trying to make that that general mold uh expanding it you know improving it not really dealing with you know the controls you, you just need an analog stick and buttons to uh to play a star fox game you don't need to mess with controls and i uh joked there a second ago about vanquish about how it's like the main kind of sequel i want now but genuinely now that i've had my monkey island game where i'm getting it later in the year i think the one now that when i'm watching any nintendo direct the one i'm just going to be like gripping my chair going please nintendo you absolute wank stains please is i want to do a star fox game i think this is it i think it's like there's been a lot of sequels but there hasn't been a proper one since 1997 and even if you can star fox zero that's still going on 10 years since the star fox game because i can't uh, i can hardly emphasize how much i love 
Lilac Wars, aka Star Fox 64, it was actually the first game I ever chose to get for myself. Back in those days, I was kind of, you know, my brother chose the games, what we're getting for Christmas, what he was getting for his birthday, and I played whatever he got. And I remember being aghast when I found out that he wasn't planning on getting the farm animals in the spaceship game that I was looking at in the magazines for Christmas. He he was he was choosing some other some other weird looking game called Final Fantasy VII that had some androgynous blonde boy in it. And I was like, no, I want the fox game. And then I suddenly realized, oh my god, I don't have to ask for toys for Christmas. I can ask for video games. So it was like Star Fox 64, Lilac Wars, whatever. It was the first game I ever decided to get for myself. It came with a rumble pack for the N64. And I was like, huge at the time. All controllers rumble now, but that was a huge, huge deal. And I played that game over and over and over and over. It's genuinely one of my most cherished games. I think it's easily one of the best N64 games. But I just played that game. It had terrible multiplayer, but the single player, I used to play it over and over. Like I, I could probably do the dialogue of the first level of that game it's like, oh, Slippy get back here Slippy watch out bogey on your tail whoa help me thanks Fox I thought they had me renting Corneria City now this is horrible everybody stay alert and etc etc my emperor I failed you that's how that level ends when there's stuff in the middle of that what I'm saying is I'm a huge fan of Star Fox and we're way way overdue for a new one and to kind of tie my point up with a bow Maybe Shigeru Miyamoto just needs to get out of everyone's way. What does he know about game design? But speaking of, in an interview, I don't know exactly from where, if this was a good podcast I'd source, but no, it's <laughs> something I've read before, is that when asked once about another franchise, Nintendo franchise, F-Zero, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto was like, I'd like to ask fans, you know, do you really want a new F-Zero game? Do you think there's more that can be done from that franchise? So I really respect Shigeru Miyamoto's mindset of not making a game for the hell of it. To have to find a, a good reason, an innovation, a way to revolutionize the franchise and maybe gaming itself to kind of, you know, not just make it for the sake of it. And I respect that. I do. But also I feel like it leads to Nintendo, Nintendo sitting on a lot of franchises for a long time. And I think sometimes... Sometimes you can just make a good sequel by refining, and F-Zero is another one I think Nintendo really, really desperately needs to return to. F-Zero is a futuristic racing game, uh, best known, honestly, the most. The reason the game is most known is Captain Falcon in Smash Brothers, you know, Falcon Punch! He, his appearance in Smash Brothers is like overshadowed the franchise he comes from, which is a, a super fast uh, racing game. Uh, my f- absolute favorite one is F Zero GX for the GameCube. One of uh, I think one of the underrated GameCube games, and I, well, as a single player game, which was tough as nails, but also its multiplayer was so fun. It was it was all about you know really quick decision making during high speed racing, and and a lot of uh, you could you could go into pit stops, but it was the pit stops. It's the future, you see. So it was only energy that goes wow 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 wow. And it was kind of making decisions of when to go into a pit stop and lose time and yada yada. But it was all these calculations happening in your brain as you were playing this like super vibrant, super fast racing game that would just look unbelievable with modern technology. It would, it really would. And you could make it even faster. And I, I sound like a little boy there. Even faster, even faster ships, please. But uh, I would disagree again with Mr. Shigeru Miyamoto on this one where I don't think you need to take a game like F-Zero and change the whole gaming industry with it I just think you can make a really cool sequel and 
the GameCube was a long time ago. There was an arcade game at the time as well called F Zero AX, and those two games came out at the same time. That's like going that's going back to the two thousands. That's far too long to sit in the franchise. Now I think it could be a deal with money as well. I don't know how much F Zero and Star Fox sell when they do come out. I, they seem popular to Nintendo fans, but you know you can't really judge characters' popularity in Smash Brothers to uh, to kind of equate to people actually going out and buying these games. I think F- uh, I think Star Fox Zero sold like shit on the Wii U, but I think there's a lot of factors to what it happened. The console it came out on, the reviews which weren't very good, and kind of you know the word of mouth about how the thing kind of played shit. I would give both these franchises a chance. Nintendo returned to 2D Metroids last year. They outsourced it to a Spanish company for the second time, and they made Metroid Dread, which was a fantastic game that reviewed very well, and I believe sold quite well. Uh, I think that's the best thing to do. Uh, give Star Fox and F-Zero to other companies. Other com- Outsource them to some companies who would just love to get their mitts on beloved, cherished uh, Nintendo properties. It works so well for Nintendo all the time. Retro Studios made amazing Metroid and Donkey Kong games. Next Level made Mario Strikers. They made the Luigi's Mansion games. They made, made Punch-Out. I don't see why Nintendo are giving such homes to these franchises with second-party companies while they just kind of ignore the likes of Star Fox and F-Zero. I think it's the time, and I'm hoping the success of Metroid Dread, which are made by a Spanish company called Mercury Steam. I'm just so, I don't know. I've, I don't have any industry insight to this. I just hope that that leads to something. Uh, next E3, personally, I would love to see a Star Fox or F-Zero. Now, my thing I always want to see when a Nintendo Direct is, is anything Zelda and beyond that, anything new, because Nintendo don't do new things enough. But after those two things, after my um, unstoppable Zelda obsession and something new, Star Fox and F-Zero, it's time for a sequel to both those games. Come on, Shigeru Miyamoto, prove to the younger gen, prove to those damn Gen Zers that you're worth a damn, because that's, that's all we're trying to do these days. That's all we're building our lives around. Okay, everyone, thank you for joining me. A bit of a shorter episode today, a tiny bit, but, you know, I'm ill. I'm ill. And I know this wasn't a comprehensive list at all. There's so many games I could have gone in here. I didn't do a Half-Life. That's like the main one, isn't it? Half-Life. Half-Life 3. I really want Half-Life 3 as well. I'm only being facetious. But like I said, I'd love to return to this topic sometime when I'm not alone. Cover more games. I, I think... I think... Give or take a Dino Crisis, I think uh, those are a bunch of games that maybe Owen wouldn't kind of come to himself. So I'd love to do this again sometime and see what he has to say and maybe cover a more comprehensive list of darn games that don't have darn sequels. But for now, thank you so much for joining me. If you could just share this podcast, I don't think I don't think people share podcasts, but if you could, that would be great. Just get a bit of awareness out there, even just good old word of mouth. But anyway, I'm so happy uh, when people listen to this podcast. Uh, I have 50% COVID when I see that someone has has listened to an episode, so that's great. And my name is Liam Sheehan, and just thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.